left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. Offerings to cater to sophisticated and accredited investors. And then we also offer 506C. There is definitely a variance in our offerings. And again, that goes to speaks to who are our investors because I'm a personal shopper. I'm going to go and personally shop. I have a lot of connections within the industry. I know who I want to partner with. I know what their track records are. And I can go and I can look for the best opportunity for my limited partners. Hey, Leftfielders. This is Julian McClurkin from Tribe Vest. I recently had the pleasure of sitting down with Jim Pfeiffer for a masterclass. I learned so much from passive investing to real estate syndications to how you can diversify your portfolio with a tribe. I also learned how this form of passive investing was only available to the wealthy until recently. If I learned a lot, you will too. Go to leftfieldinvestors.com and check out the masterclass button at the top or look up Tribe Vest on YouTube. I'll see you there. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, powered by TribeVest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the left field community. Hi, this is Scott Royal Smith from Royal Legal Solutions, and you're listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. I'm excited today to have Julie Hawley with me. She is the founder of Three Keys Investments and is the host of the Conscious Investor podcast. She's a former public school teacher and is now both a passive investor and a GP. So we're going to get a lot of good information from her since she's on both sides of the table. So Julie, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. I'm so happy to be here. I've been listening and enjoying and scouring the podcast. So it's fun to be on this side able to serve. Thank you. We appreciate it. We're going to have a good conversation today. And the way I like to start is just to hear your financial journey. How did you go from public school teacher to passive investor to GP? If you can just tell me how you got where you are. Yeah, I started teaching at 22, graduated early as overachiever. And so I was still a child when I entered the public school classroom. I think my first contract was like $27,000 for the year of teaching school. And yeah, not making much money at all. And my governor at the time in California where I lived happened to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. So we all know who Arnold is. And he did this crazy thing. And I don't care if you love it or hate it or any of that. It changed my life. He incentivized educators on their test scores. I wasn't expecting anything, but I got a $10,000 bonus. 
And that, obviously, when you're making $27,000 as a young teacher, that's a substantial amount of money. And my dad is in residential real estate sales. He was. He's passed since. And so is my grandfather. So I was third generation in real estate. And my dad encouraged me. He's, you can use that as a down payment. And so he, it was a super hot market. It was before the crash. And he was talking to me about the escalator, the equity escalator. And I was trying to wrap my young head mind around that because if you're a younger person listening to that, if you're in your 20s, we didn't have access to podcasts and YouTube. And so access to this information wasn't just commonplace. And so he was explaining the equity and I just trusted my dad because I adored him and bought my first home. And that home ended up, I realized I have another bedroom. I could rent that bedroom out and offset and have some breathing space. And that becomes what we now call house hacking, one version of it. (laughs) And then once my husband and I got married, we just determined that let's just live this modest lifestyle and let's acquire homes throughout our journey. And as we live, we'll just buy a nice home on one income. Let's live off of one income. That's how our lifestyle is going to be. One income and we're going to buy homes. We'll rehab them and then we will lease them out to residents and then we'll just rinse and repeat. And that was be our game plan. And then we had another child. <laughs> and so And that really shifted things. And so I will say, I feel like I've lived in a lot of different income brackets and it's all about how you're approaching things. Money is just a tool. It's just a resource. It's not the stoppings part. It's an opportunity and money doesn't have to be a limitation in your investing or you taking your very next step. And so we decided we're doing great at this single family thing. Like, that's fine. I manage the properties like Oh, you're a thousand miles away. That's fine. Because if you were right here in my same town, I'm not going to go over and fix a toilet. I'm not going to go fix a roof. So it doesn't make a difference to me where it is geographically. And so from there, we just decided, had our second child. I felt uncertain about where the economy was headed. We'd already been through the, the big crash. It was about that time where you would anticipate... Come on, we were in an elongated cycle. We're finally hitting the end. And so we should be done with this. And so we thought we're going to time this. We're going to sell at the peak of the market and we're going to cash out and then we'll figure out what to invest in. So we did. If we would have kept it a little bit longer, we could have made a lot more money. But that money turned into seed money into multifamily investing. And that's because I got really antsy having that money in the bank account. And I just told my husband, I'm like, I can't handle this. Money in the bank is not a good thing. Let's figure this out. And he said, you know what? Explore the options and then tell me what you find and see what you want to do. And that's ultimately what led me to apartment syndication. That's great. I'm a former teacher too. So I get it, kind of did it in a different way where I went and got a job that made some money and then I could be a teacher and not have to worry about that as much. And then I got into real estate after that. So I love having the teacher into a real estate. That's super interesting. Dig in a little bit on why did you think multifamily was the place to go? A lot of people do that. I did the same thing. I had these single families. I'm like, okay, one door seems great. Why not buy a 22 unit? I bought those on my own before I found syndication. So did you go right in and we talking like you, you got into multifamily as in quads or small ones, or you started syndicating or you started being a passive? 
go big or go home, baby. <laughs> go big or go home. Once I discovered, once my husband said, kind of gave me released, that's a great, in my opinion, that's a great marriage where you can trust each other and say, go explore and come back to the table and see what you got. So I was listening to Bigger Pockets and I have my faith testimony in Christ and then I have my real estate testimony, which is really fun. So I'm driving up to the gym, going up North Hill and I'm listening to Bigger Pockets. Monique just been complaining the day before, not complaining, but just oh, they, I have never heard a woman on this podcast and I've been listening for months and I was surprised at that. And literally two days later, Monique Calm comes on and she talks about house hacking and she talks about apartment syndication. And I was like, I just saw how God brought together every facet of my life from being a public school educator in a heart to serve and support others to my experience in real estate, being born and bred in real estate. My husband is a broker in real estate. We're a partner in a Remax company, all of this stuff, right? So I'm like, I know education, I know real estate, and I know I have a heart to serve people and All of these things just come together in the syndication model, because if you're really looking to serve and support your investors, then you need to be providing a level of education. You need to be understanding what their needs are so that you're offering them the right kind of opportunities. And so it felt like such a perfect thing. I have not stopped since that moment. It was just a fork in the road. And it was almost an equal of going uphill and downhill at the same time, meaning it's really easy. It's so much fun. It's something that I'm extremely passionate about because it gives access to real estate investments to everybody who wants it at their level. And they don't have to deal with anything, as we always say, like the toilets, the termites, the tenants, and things like that. Fortunately, when I managed properties, I never had any of those issues. I did a good job. And things do happen, but I was good at managing. And then the other element of that is that being able to serve and support the investors, I think I just lost my train of thought in my head cold that I have. (laughs) Maybe I need to take a breath and get oxygen into my body. (laughs) That works. We can pause. Yeah. Ultimately, when I went into syndication, I was going to say, so the downhill, it's easy because I'm extremely passionate about it. The challenging part is, as a public school teacher, I don't have a background in business and finance and all, right? Some of those elements and the economy. And I've had to really intentionally earn my own MBA, if you will. It's not an MBA. I don't mean to reduce anybody who's gone through that process at all. But that's where the bulk of my learning has been focused on is, great, I understand these elements, but in order for me to really advocate and support my investors, I really need to learn these other elements. And I'm just in a constant stage of what are the weak spots if I want to truly as I call, I have layers of insulation for my investors. If I truly want to further insulate my investors in their investments through Three Keys Investments, then I need to continually grow so that I can provide that to them. And how did you get started? You sold all your single families. You have a bunch of money in the bank. You decide, hey, I want to be a syndicate. How do you go about doing that? Had you invested in any passive deals yet? I hadn't at that point, but by nature of, I already knew. So oftentimes people learn about syndication and they get involved, they join a mentorship program, and then they're trying to figure out where do I fit? What's my role in this? If I were on a team, what would my role be? 
I've always known what my role was. From the moment I heard Monique talk about apartment syndication, I knew I wanted to educate and serve investors. And it was very easy in that capacity to be like very focused on how am I learning and growing to support passive investors. And in that process, it makes sense to say, have I passively invested? Do I understand what those feelings are when you are wiring that money (laughs) to somebody that you feel that you vetted to a deal that you're pretty sure it's a good deal? You're new to this. And there's such a high level of trust. And it was very painful because it was a matter of, but this is part of our seed money to invest. We were investing it. We just weren't investing it on the active side. We invested that a chunk of money on the passive side. Because I think if I'm just believed wholeheartedly and my, my husband supported me, if I'm ever going to ask people to invest with me, I need to know what that process looks like and feels like so that I could support them in the most powerful way. And so today you're both, right? You're investing passively as an LP and also you are doing the GP thing as well. Is that correct? I love both worlds. Yes, but I'm extremely particular on the GP side. Just, I am. I'm just extremely particular on who I'm partnered with and the deals that I am partnered in. And so I, I'm not about having a certain amount of units and I'm not about having closed at X amount of deals each year. I want always to do the right deals in the right time with the right partners. And that's where I created like the layers of insulation for my investors. It's a matter of what is the track record of my partners. I need to know that who I'm partnered with and I want to know what their track record is and what they're bringing to the table. But before we even get to that part, I want to know my partners for at least a year before we actually partner up. In general, I break bread with my partners. I probably have collaborated in some capacity to create maybe some media, maybe a podcast, maybe ebook or something. I'm probably collaborated in a very small form <clears throat> with a partner just because it allows you to see their character. It allows you to see how they show up. It allows you to test drive the communication and to see, is this a good fit? Because if you're in a deal, you're in a deal for three to seven years and you need to know who you are truly partnered with. That closing date, when you close on an asset, that's not the finish line. That is the starting line. And so that's when that's, hey, you just said your nuptials and everything, you know, now you're walking down the aisle in a different capacity and you are joined. And so I take that very seriously. This is great because I really want to get into this topic of vetting sponsors, right? That's one of the top things that people at Left Field Investors are looking for is like, how do I vet a sponsor? And we'll get into that, but I'd like to start on how do you vet a deal that has multiple GPs? How would a passive investor looking at a deal, maybe some of your deals where there's multiple GPs, do they just, do you spend time just vetting the one you're dealing with or do you need to research all of them? Do you trust the person you're dealing with to have vetted the others for you? Like you do, you trust them to analyze the deal and then you just double check it. How does that process work both as a passive and when you're going to be a co-GP? So on the passive side, one of my beliefs is understand who has the voting rights. Where is the bulk of the power? If it's a larger GP team, and I'm involved in three different active deals at the moment, I'm starting to think technically four active deals at the moment, and those GP teams vary in size. And so one of them has a larger GP team to it. However, the voting rights within that GP team are very lopsided. 
And so many of those piece, they don't have very much clout when it comes to votes. And ultimately, that's what's going to win. Like, who is making, who is calling the shots? And as I look as a limited partner into deals, I want to know who's calling the shots. Is ultimately the business plan is coming down to who is running the day-to-day. If you're concerned, then it's who is the day-to-day, who is the asset manager, what is their track experience, how much clout do they have, or is that somehow, it should never be, but is that somehow diluted from some other voice that isn't in the granular day-to-day? That would be one of the key things that I would look for on the passive side and do look for. Why so many GPs, I don't know the numbers and it doesn't really matter, but Like I see some deals where there's one GP, I see some deal where there's two or three, and then you see some that there's 10 or 11. And my question is, why do we need so many GPs on a deal unless it's maybe some of them are on there to learn and get trained? And my perspective as a passive investor, I don't really want to give you my money so that you can learn something. That should be on your time, not on my dime. But can you talk about why you need all these GPs on some of these deals? That is interesting. I have participated in a GP deal as a co-GP where it was a larger team and highly experienced operators providing an experience and opportunity for other PEs that are rising up. So I have been on that side of things. And then I've also been on the side right now, I'm in a ground up development project and that GP team it looks like an army. (laughs) So when I look at our OM, the deal deck, I'm like, wow, it looks like a lot of people at the table is we have our developer on the GP, we have our builder on the GP. And ultimately there are four of us companies that have partnered together in this. So when I look at it as a company side, I'm like, okay, technically we have five companies involved in this, but within those companies, you have multiple people. So that provides an interesting scenario. So there can be different reasons why there are lots of keys at the table. In speaking to the ground up development, I'm very happy. We also have our, an architect on our team. So just the way our team is structured and positioned for tackling 144 unit class A development project from buying raw land to entitling it to going through this entire process, it made sense. And we very much shoulder a lot of those responsibilities together. And so there can be times where a larger GP team can make sense who's what skills are being represented. And so that's what you also look at is, okay, well, there are X amount of people, but there are five companies. And what skills are these people bringing to the table to warrant them being on that GP team? And I will tell you, I am now at a point where I am even further selective. That's why I've created some parameters around how I select my partners. I was already fairly clear on how to select my partners. However, that became even clearer because when you are on a larger GP team, I happen to be a woman a wife, a mom, a former teacher. In other words, I'm allowed to say this, I do control a lot. (laughs) And so by nature of enjoying some level of control, it is, I have found that um, with my development deal aside, because there is a purpose for everybody being there, I have gravitated towards smaller GP teams to where it is a more intimate setting where you can have those conversations and not have to worry about reaching quite so many people. That's a lot of information. (laughs) No, it's excellent. These are some of the things that passive investors, we don't deal with and don't understand. And it makes more sense. Yeah, on a development deal, I could see more partners because as you said, you have a developer who's got some specialties there. You have the architect who has specialties there. So that makes more sense to me than 20 GPs on a value add. $2 million. A small multifamily. I want to jump into the current market, right? For multifamily. 
Now, again, I like this conversation because we are talking to two people right now. We're talking to the GP and we're talking to the LP at the same time. And that, that just, you get, it's fascinating because you, you can get both sides. What kind of opportunities are you seeing? Are you seeing development stuff and that's why you're doing that? Or are there still value add opportunities? Can you talk a little bit about what opportunities you're seeing as a GP and what you're seeing as an LP with all of the changes that have happened in the last few months? Yeah, the development is interesting. I mean, we are in a legit housing shortage situation in the U.S. And a lot of that, I am going to go into this nuance and you can stop me if, at any point because <laughs> you're the host. But one of the reasons that we are in that housing shortage is that prior to the pandemic, we already had a housing shortage and then we had this whole shutdown and then we had containers that went from take costing $3,000 or so to ship to now, then they inflated up to $28,000 to ship. And now they're finally coming back down to around $6,000 to ship. So we create like this whole supply chain issue is just encumbered the development side of things. And there's this other element that many people are unaware of. And, and this is very important for limited partners to understand as well. And that is zoning regulations. And so much of our development has been hindered and the expansion of housing for residents who genuinely need it has been hindered by zoning regulations. And I have a soapbox on that. I won't hide because we have a lot of restrictions where you have to meet certain criteria and that criteria then becomes cost prohibitive. And so we don't go and develop just because I know my partners, I know them, I've known them for years and they're great people. We're all generous and kind servant oriented people. We do need to make money. And so this isn't philanthropy. This isn't people don't go out and develop just for a good cause, right? And so there does have to be something there for people. And so a lot of development has been hindered because it's cost prohibitive because of the zoning regulations that are within. And then you have communities that have simply put their foot down and said, we're not going to change this zoning over here. And they could. And so I would encourage listeners to dive into this in whatever communities and markets especially in your own, in your backyard, because somebody's investing there. Even if you don't think it's a great place to invest, somebody's investing there. So understand what the zoning regulations are in your area. And as policy comes up, make sure that you are aware so that you are supporting this expansion as you see fit. I'm not telling you how to do things. I'm just saying be educated on this so that we can find solutions to this housing shortage that we really have. Since you are here listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you're investing with a group of people. Whether you're investing with family or friends or like-minded people in the left-field investors community, group investing is a strategy that can get you into more deals, help you diversify, and go beyond what you can achieve by yourself. Before TribeVest came along, it was difficult to overcome all the hurdles associated with group investing. It was basically a strategy reserved for the wealthy. Not anymore. Now, TribeVest helps your group with everything from incorporation, collaboration, banking, and equity management tools all in a single place so you can focus on building wealth with the people you know, like, and trust. I'm using TribeVest for all five, now six, of my investor tribes. It's a game changer. Check them out at TribeVest.com. One of our trusted partners, Ashcroft Capital, is currently accepting accredited investors into their Ashcroft Value Add Fund 2. Why should you invest in multifamily now? Let's talk about the elephant in the room. There's turmoil around the world, and we are in a very high inflationary environment. Naturally, that's a lot to digest, and it's on a lot of people's minds as to what this means for multifamily or how to interpret this kind of data and reasons to consider when deciding to invest. 
Ashcroft Capital has compiled a white paper of five reasons to consider investing in multifamily in 2022. To read it and to learn more about investing in multifamily real estate with Ashcroft's AVAF2, visit ashcroftcapital.com slash invest in 2022. That's ashcroftcapital.com slash invest in 2022. I want to talk about debt also because that's been an issue, obviously. And if you're doing development, are there different debt issues because you're getting construction loans and then you have to refi? So is there development already has higher risk, right, than buying an already existing building. So does the debt magnify that risk and make it even a riskier investment? If you're underwriting in a sound way, it really doesn't magnify it because it's being factored in. If you're going into development, you know that you are going to be dealing with the construction loan. You know the cost of capital is greater and that that's accounted for. And that's where having those conversations with your developer and your builder are really critical. Our builder and developer in this particular project, they have decades of experience. And so they have an idea of what the timelines can be, but you will face the unforeseen challenges. We face some different setbacks. And so it's like understanding what does the timetable look like? How can we compensate for that? How can we run what we call like parallel jobs at the same time? If we're waiting for this agency to give us X, Y, Z, what else can we be accomplishing on this side of things to make sure that things are ready? The financing has been, especially in this market right now, finding the best financing, very challenging was a lot of phone calls and a lot of different looking at different opportunities before settling on one. Again, looking at it from the passive investor viewpoint, most of our community avoid development deals because a lot of people want the cash flow. I've had people in our community who are like, I'm not investing in this standard multifamily deal because I won't get distributions for four months. I want immediate distributions. And so there's mindset that unless, because we want these deals to cash flow, that's the whole thing. I don't like investing in something that's not going to cash flow. So how do you get investors to invest in your ground up deals when the cash flow is not coming for two years? How do you deal with that? This is why knowing our investors and having those phone calls, you guys listening, you are passive investors. You've had those phone calls, those intake phone calls with different companies in it so that you can be on their distribution list and everything. At Three Keys Investments, we take that call very seriously. It's not just to check the little securities box. It's to, do we know what you want? What are your goals? If your goal is cash flow, I'm going to put you in the Olympus portfolio where we're going to be giving distributions three months from now because of how we structured that. So it's really understanding what is a passive investor's risk tolerance? What's their appetite? What's their liquidity? Are they investing through a self-directed account that they're not going to be able to touch those distributions until they're 59 and a half anyway. And so being in that ground up development and getting that huge influx at the tail end is going to be really helpful for them because they're not touching that money. Or are they using liquid capital to inject more cash flow into their life on the day to day? This is always a relationship business. It's about understanding what is it that will serve you well. And we haven't done a single deal that is exactly alike. And a lot of oftentimes companies will say, this is all we do. We do class B, we do light value add, and this is what we do. Or class C, heavy lift in this specific market. We're spread across four different states. All of those opportunities are very different 
not very different. The development is very different. The other three opportunities have that same light value add opera touch and feel to them that we're used to. But it's important to understand. And we go from 506B offerings to cater to sophisticated and accredited investors. And then we also offer 506C. There is definitely a variance in our offerings. And again, that goes to speaks to who are our investors, because I'm a personal shopper. I'm going to go and personally shop. I have a lot of connections within the industry. I know who I want to partner with. I know what their track records are. And I can go and I can look for the best opportunity for my limited partners. And that actually put me in a deal in Minneapolis that we just closed. Oh, that's awesome. I guess I'm focusing on development because that's your current deal, but we don't talk to people that are doing development very often. So I just getting on a roll here. How does a passive investor analyze a deal that's just a bunch of dirt and you're going to build something? Because the the deals that we look at, we have a deal analyzer at Left Field Investors that helps us. I don't want to re-underwrite the deal. That's your job. I get to know you. I trust you. I think you know what you're doing. Okay, I'll invest with you. I'm going to check and do my own analysis of the deal, but I'm not going to re-underwrite it. So I have some metrics that I look at and things that I want to know, but I don't have that for development because all I'm talking, there's just a piece of dirt there and you're going to put some stuff on it. So how do I analyze that kind of deal from a passive investor standpoint? It really, it's not too different from analyzing your value add opportunity. You're still looking at what is taking place in the market. Are we seeing a population increase or decrease? What neighborhood is this in? What's the crime like in that neighborhood? What kind of economy do they have? Do they have a diverse job base? So we're still looking at the same core elements to our investment vehicle. But the next layer that you would want to add to that is huh, let me, how many other apartments are coming online? And then you can ask the general partners and we do have that information. So you you can ask, okay, what else is coming online is, and so we're looking at what's called an absorption rate. So we want to know, is that market going to be able to absorb that many units? So right now we're going to be adding 144 units. We also were able to buy adjacent land to create one beautiful little area. It's almost like a little peninsula. And we have meat on the bones for when we sell it. There We already have the plans. We'll have everything set for 40 additional units, which is really cool. So you want to look at, can the community, does the community have the capacity to absorb all these units? Is there, what else is like there? So just like we're looking at comps, no different than we'd be looking at if we were buying a value-add opportunity. And so that gives you that wherewithal as to know what's taking place. I think and one of the reasons I partnered into this opportunity is because one, I wanted to get into ground-up development, but I, I believe, again, in those layers of insulation for investors. And this is a great opportunity, knowing my partners so well, and then having also our builder and developer on the general partnership. They have skin in the game. They have buy-in and experience and expertise that I don't have. Look at the profile of the team and see where that experience and expertise is coming in. And then I will say timelines are very fluid. We can have our projected timelines and things can get hung up. It's no different if we're building a single family home and pulling permits and such. And so there is that level of when is this really going to happen? It is going to happen. It's just in how much pushing. And then you need to know, is this team going to push hard? There's one agency that our team is on the phone with pushing 
regularly with just because we are advocating. We have a project, we have investors, we're advocating. What additional questions should we be asking that we don't ask on a typical multifamily deal when it's development? Are there one or two key questions that we want to make sure, hey, this is a development deal, so it's different than a light or a large value add. These are a couple of things you need to be asking as a passive investor of the sponsor to make sure that they know what they're doing. What's a good couple questions to check on the sponsor? Now, always ask, who is your developer? What is their experience? You need to know both the developer and the builder. You need to know what their experience level is, what their competency is, and if they're able to get skilled labor in a timely way. Because you can be a builder or a developer, and if you don't have a good reputation, it's going to be hard to get the job done because people aren't going to want to come work for you. So I think that right there is super integral. And the other element, oh shoot, I'm like... I'm like having my head cold moment right there. So we've got our builder and our developer. And the other element that would be very key, like I probably ask, I don't know which one, this is a chicken and an egg question, is what have you already accomplished? So you want to understand when you're coming in, are you coming in and buying the raw land and actually developing that land? And when we say that, that means that we're getting it rezoned We're get, when we're going through the full entitlement process so that land is shovel ready. So that would be an, a really important question to ask. Is this land, and you can just use that verbiage, is this land shovel ready or am I coming in at the very beginning of this process? If it's shovel ready, you've already bypassed this entire process and they will be able to build in a very timely fashion. They'll be able to start building fairly quickly if everything is going to plan. And I think that's a really important element to understand. Now we have down the development rabbit hole and that was my fault because it's just so interesting to listen to. We're coming up on time here, but I did want to at least get onto one of the, because you have a bunch of mindset things that you talk about. I love the mindset stuff. So one of the things was the power of authenticity. Can you talk about that and what, what that means and why it's important? It's absolutely critical. Most people walk around pretending to be a version of themselves that they're not in order to please other people and to make life a lot easier instead of fully accepting this is who I am, the better, the good, the bad, and the ugly for all of it. This is who I am. And really, that's the point where we thrive and that's where we shine. When we say, this is who I am, I know I have areas where I need to grow, but when I show up as my authentic self, and I'm not trying to just put this mask on to please people. For example, today I have this head cold, I'm nasally, I'm all this. It's like, I'm not worried about it. It just is what it is. In the past, I may have been insecure or self-conscious about something like that. Just really accepting yourself where you are so that you can bring your very best to the world around you. And when you do that, it's absolutely amazing the type of people that come into your life and the opportunities that come into your life because you're being you, not some version. And I can't imagine, just imagine this for a moment. If you were trying to, if you're going to be in a movie and you were cast as a character, could you imagine being that character all the time, constantly, it would be absolutely exhausting. And you wouldn't know if you were doing it just right or if you needed to change something. But when we show up as our authentic self and we're not trying to play a role in a movie of whatever sort, right? But when we show up as ourself, we actually like gain energy and it just creates this whole different trajectory in our life. Give us a tip for how does somebody do that? Because I know there are certain situations where I'm my authentic self 
right on this podcast is probably one of them. I admit more mistakes and errors and faults here than I do anywhere else. What's a tip for getting there to be authentic in not just maybe this one space, but in multiple spaces? Raise awareness. So I am oftentimes known as the conscious investor. And I would just say, raise your level of consciousness, raise your level of awareness. And that's where it starts. Just simply be aware. So even within your family, you can do this. Why is it bugging me that my child is making this noise? Why is that bugging me? Is it hurting my ears? Is it obnoxious? Is it like just start bringing this level of awareness to your world? Wow. My spouse said that to me. Like, why did that bother me? And once we start just like actually asking ourselves those deeper questions, that why question and being aware, you'll start noticing it. And then you start noticing, I don't have to be upset with that crazy driver on the road. I don't have to be upset. I had some guy, this is funny. (laughs) I was leaving our gym, working out the other morning and doing 75 hard. So I cannot miss a day. And I'm leaving the gym and I was a little absent-minded and there's this huge truck driver who needed to turn the same direction as I was, but he's across the road. And he threw his arms in the air at me. And I just, thought to myself, but this is like being consciously aware. I could have just been like, let that wreck my day and be frustrated and just, oh my gosh, I can't believe that guy. I could have just really gone into whatever space I wanted to with that. And I just let it, I looked at him and I smiled and I just reminded him, I was like, sorry, no big. I, it's really not that big of a deal. And most things we take so seriously and we just need to lighten up. And I don't mean that in a cavalier way, but when we have that level of consciousness, we can carry it with us anywhere we are. And you start to see the situations in a different way. You see yourself in a different way. And then it allows you to show up in a far more powerful way. That's great stuff. I mean, we could do a full podcast just on on some of this mindful mindset stuff. I love that. Thank you for that. So the last question we ask on the podcast is, what is a great podcast you listen to? And we cannot, we will not say the Conscious Investor Podcast because that's already going to be in the show notes. So give me something different that you're listening to right now that you enjoy. Oh, wow. So I told you off air, we were talking about this and I said, I run a book club and I read a lot. I was not always a good reader. So I always say my favorite book is whatever I'm reading at the moment. And when it comes to podcasts, it really is a similar thing. And so I just pulled up my phone and I'm looking, I've been actually researching a lot of leadership recently. And so I found some really powerful podcasts on leadership and trying to find the one that I was looking John C. Maxwell, who's he's John C. Maxwell. He's absolutely amazing. He's phenomenal. And his podcast is phenomenal. And there's also another podcast called Coaching Leaders, which is really powerful. Even if you're not in a leadership role, we are all leaders in some capacity. We are co-leading with our spouse or we're leading our children or we're influencing people around us. And so Right now, I'm honestly trying to raise a level of awareness. And so those are some of my favorite. I will also say for fun, for better or for worse, I met somebody at the airport almost a, a year ago now. And this person turned me on to this podcast. It's political. <laughs> and I really don't like politics, but politics are necessary. But it's called the Reason Roundtable. And it's a very different concept. And it's been very it makes me laugh. (laughs) So I'm like, it's interesting. So I definitely have an eclectic, no single favorite, and it's always changing. That's great. Thank you for those recommendations. And also, 
Thank you for coming on, even though you're under the weather. This was fantastic. If listeners want to learn more about you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? The best way, head over to julieholly.com. And from there, you can access all of the brands. There's Three Keys Investments. There's the Conscious Investor Podcast. And then I actually High Performance Coach as well. And I haven't launched that page, but that allows you to, we have lots of free information that you can download on the syndication education element, access a podcast, or I love, I hope this comes across. I genuinely love people. I love to serve people. So pop on my calendar and let's talk about what your investment goals are. Because honestly, I listened to those. And that's, again, that's how I ended up doing a deal in Minneapolis. I needed a 506B. I had lots of 506B investors and I needed a place and I needed the right partners and the right deal. So I like to cater to my investors. That's fantastic. We have a lot of 506B investors in our group, so I'm sure they'll be contacting. Well, thank you again for being on the podcast. We really enjoyed it. And we'll, we'll do it again sometime. Love it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Do you love coffee? Have you ever wanted to invest directly in the coffee industry? You can invest now in the number one largest coffee producer in the country of Colombia, the Green Coffee Company. Headquartered in the U.S., they are now Colombia's largest coffee producer and have opened their $100 million Series C funding round to accredited investors. The Green Coffee Company has over 7 million coffee trees and is on track for a 2026 sale or IPO projecting an 11x ROI for investors. Discounts are available for early funding, but there's limited capacity available. To invest, visit legacy-group.co and click the Current Offerings tab. That's the Current Offerings tab at legacy-group.co. Visor provides investors with a secure platform that displays a comprehensive view of all of their holdings on a single holistic dashboard. From real estate syndications to private equity, crypto to traditional investments with AI-driven, unbiased, honest insights to maximize return, Visor is your one place to rule them all. Automating performance tracking, projecting future cash flow, analyzing all your financial documents, and much more in one powerful solution, making it easy to follow the money. Sign up for a free 30-day trial now at Visor.co. Infielders get 15% off. I appreciate Julie being on the podcast, especially when she wasn't feeling well. I, I, I didn't notice it until she, she talked about it. But there's a lot of good stuff in there. You know, money, it's a tool, it's a resource, and, and you have to use it that way and think of it that way. And I think once you get into the mindset of money as a resource or a tool, something that you can use, it just gives you a, a better mindset and idea on that. Know who you're partnered with. I think that is super important, especially with a lot of these deals that have a bunch of GPs. You can trust the person that you're dealing with, or that's what you want to get to, and you're going to trust them to vet the other GPs, but you also want to know something about them, right? Because you are partnering with them when you're investing in their deal. So you want to know about that. And the thing that I really like is when sponsors ask about your risk tolerance, ask about what you want to do. And actually, sometimes you'll say, hey, I'm interested in this deal. And they'll ask you some questions. They'll say, mm, nope, that deal is not for you. And they will put themselves behind their interest behind yours. And I think that is critical. And it sounds like that's what Julie does as part of her mission to educate. You know, she said she went out and find a, a deal for non-accredited investors because she had a bunch that were looking for a deal. That's fantastic. That's the kind of person that you want to meet and try to get to know a little bit. You know, that last question, I do like the mindset conversations and and authenticity. I thought that was really neat how she talked about you need to be aware and, and be, be kind of mindful 
of being an authentic person. And it's hard in different situations you and when you're with different people, you put on different hats and different roles. So you just have to listen and ask yourself, why? Why am I annoyed by this? Or why did this make me feel this way? And then you can build up to being a more authentic person. And I think that is super important. It's something that uh, that I'm working on. And I think everybody should. So that was uh, great advice by Julie. And I appreciated her sharing that with us. So that's all we have for this time. We'll see you next time in the left field. Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.